Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Today's Old Testament lesson is Psalm 62. Listen now for the word of God. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim? All of you, as you would a leaning wall, a tottering fence. Their own plan is to bring down a person of prominence. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock. My refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, but they are together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion and set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. And steadfast love belongs to you, O Lord, for you repay to all according to their work. Friends, please know this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord God will stand forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Listen again to God's word for us. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astounded at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Lord, the preaching of your word With the blessing of your spirit, grant that insofar as it is true, it shall be undergirded by your power and by your love. 
Grant that insofar as it is false, it shall be swiftly forgotten and do no harm. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our New Testament passage this morning from Matthew comes at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this moment was still pretty early on in Jesus' ministry. He had more or less just returned from being tempted in the wilderness, and he had been going through Galilee, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And as word about Jesus spread, crowds were gathering, hoping to hear and see Jesus, hoping for a healing, hoping for wisdom. And it was at this point, seeing the crowds one day, that Jesus went up a mountain, and his disciples followed him. And then echoing the location on a mountain and the message of Moses on Mount Sinai, Jesus interpreted, expounded upon, and taught about the law, God's law, the Torah, and what it actually looks like to love God with all of your heart, soul, and might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as Jesus taught, the crowds, they came up the mountain, and they had surrounded Jesus and his disciples by the end of Jesus' preaching and teaching. And Jesus closed his teaching that day with the passage that we heard this morning. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. Everyone who hears and acts will be like the wise man. The hearing, the listening that Jesus has in mind here is not simply understanding his words, but also actually following them. Actually leading a life free of lust and greed, pettiness and deceit, violence, hypocrisy, self-righteousness. Actually having pure motivations, emotions, perceptions, and desires that undergird one's righteous actions. Actually living in a way that follows God and loves neighbor, that embodies God's law as a complete way of life, in which you become the light of the world, in which you let your light shine before others so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, the fact that this is the stuff of being the wise man, of building a house on a rock, that's unsettling. (laughs) Because hearing this message and acting on this message seems to be precisely what none of us actually does. To varying extents and degrees, we spend lifetimes packing down the sands with wealth, prestige, reputation, family, friendships, power, networks, careers, ability, beauty, talent. Banking on the idea that lives built upon well-packed sands will hold for the long haul. But the imagery of the sand and the raging storm highlights the reality that everything in creation is finite and ultimately fleeting in itself. And idolatrous reliance on it is futile and foolish because it is invariably vulnerable to and destined destined for loss. And this is a hard reality. 
But if one imagines the full sweep of human history and beyond that, the full sweep of the entire universe, it is readily apparent that all that any of us does, all that we do, anything we might create or accomplish or store away, it's rapidly gone, dissolved in time. And since I was a teenager, I've always found Percy B. Shelley's poem, Ozymandias, to be especially poignant on this point. Apparently inspired by the ruins of a statue of the pharaoh Ramses II, Shelley wrote that poem as follows. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. While Shelley's poem hits on the ultimate vanity and pretensions to regal glory and power, an issue I don't imagine many of us are necessarily wrestling with personally, The imagery, nonetheless, also nicely highlights the truth that even the most powerful, the most wealthy, come crashing down in the end. Death and decay come for us all, and this world spares no one. As Psalm 62 declared as well, those of low estate are but a breath, those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, They are altogether lighter than breath. Psalm 39 and Psalm 144 share similar sentiments about our lives and our accomplishments. They read, Lord, what are human beings that you care for them, mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath. Their days are like like a fleeting shadow. And Lord, let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Surely everyone stands as a mere breath. Surely everyone goes about like a shadow. Surely for nothing people are in turmoil. They heap up and do not know who will gather what they heap. With our fleeting lives, we build fleeting structures that will all fall. And we can stretch this metaphor of the house and the structures that we build pretty far to include all the kind of constructive things in which we might invest our time, our energy, our finances, in which we might invest our devotion, our sweat, our tears. That house could be a business, it could be a career, a nonprofit, a school, a church, it could be family, it could be drive for the arts or sports or literature. That house is whatever you put your shoulder into, whatever you put the weight of your love into building, 
and securing. But we know that despite all this work, everything we craft and create gets hit hard by the rains, the storms. And depending on one's age and circumstances, you've either already viscerally felt this or you will. Whether it's in a sudden torrent or at a steady debilitating pace, the rain, the winds, the floods come, in time they wash away everything. I think this difficult imagery of lives built on sand, I think it's what life is or would be without God, without a creator, without our creator. It'd be nothing but castles erected on ever-shifting sand. No deeper depth to reality, nothing that ultimately transcends or anchors our lives. Life on the sand is what we face apart from God. And it's even, almost by definition, what a life apart from a creator, from its creator, from our creator, would be. A life that would disintegrate, that would fall apart in time. And of course, of course, many folks look around this world and they come to the conclusion that this is what reality is. That life on the sand is all we have, all there is. That there's no greater intention, no greater purpose, holding, grounding, existence together, nothing eternal, no hereafter, just here and now. So to say that life on the sand is not all there is, to say that the losses that have shaken each one of us to the core are not all there is. This is a move of faith, a move of trust, but it is a move often rooted quite simply in the sense that the specific beauty, the tangible goodness that has graced our lives, whether it's a person in our lives, activities that enrapture our souls, whether it's witnessing an act of sacrificial love or joining in a powerful community endeavor, there's the sense that these beautiful people, these beautiful things, these beautiful activities point to and even directly manifest something infinitely deep, infinitely true, infinitely good and transcendent. These good things stand as finite reflections of infinite goodness and they spur that sense that even while we are finite, vulnerable, mortal, flawed, here and now, there is something divine going on and we have seen it and we have felt it in action and at play in our lives. It is a move of faith, of trust, to say that loss is not ultimately all there is and that there is something that undergirds all of this and not simply something not simply something divine, but someone, a loving, a good God in whose image we are crafted, who came incarnate as part of this world to bring us back into right relationship with God, with one another, with the rest of God's good creation. And the rock on which Jesus called his disciples and the crowds gathered around him at the Sermon on the Mount, the rock on which Jesus calls each of us today to build our lives it is this rock of God as both our creator and our redeemer. 
as the one who made us and is for us, who wants us to thrive in and flourish in divine abundance of right relationship with him and one another. It is the God who came incarnate as Christ, as Emmanuel, our creator here with us as one of us to rescue us, to redeem us. Our rock is the God testified to in the opening of John's gospel, through whom all things came into being, and without whom not one thing came into being. It is the God in whom was life and light that unconquerably shines forth in the darkness, no matter how dark, drawing people in to receive him and believe in him and graciously giving out power unto eternal life. The rock to which Jesus calls us is Christ himself, of whom Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians, he is our creator and our redeemer. He, in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the rock to which we're called, upon which we're called to build our lives. And in many respects, again, this is a rock of hope. It's a rock of trust. Of hope that underneath the shifting sands of our lives is a foundational, eternal bedrock. A bedrock that receives and holds our loved one's loss until that day when we will be raised and reunited as Christ was raised from the dead. A bedrock that nourishes and foundationally supports us such that we can live boldly, compassionately, generously in the service of God and in the love and just treatment of our neighbors near and far. And that is what building on the rock of hope, the rock of God, looks like here and now. It's a way of living and moving in the world. And it certainly does not guarantee protection from the losses, from the blows of life. God knows it doesn't do that. Following God does not mean that in this life we are no longer vulnerable and mortal. But to build on the rock of God is to, not to cease being vulnerable, mortal. It's not to escape tragedy, death, and loss. In fact, as Jesus proclaimed in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, building on the rock of God is a following, a call to live a life more generously, compassionately, and justly at risk of harm for the well-being of others and the proclamation of the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Building on the rock of God looks like the life proclaimed throughout the Sermon on the Mount. A life free of lust, greed, pettiness, deceit, violence, hatred, hypocrisy, self-righteousness. And instead, full of prayer and forgiveness and forbearance and treating others as you would want to be treated. 
Building on the rock of Christ looks like a life bursting and blossoming abundantly with the fruits of the Spirit. Love and joy, justice and peace, patience and kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those fruits of the Spirit in building a life on the rock of God, they bear forth not only in personal relationships, not only in family dynamics, but also in community connections, in social norms, in public policies. And building on the rock of Christ, of course, also does not mean that we've been freed fully in this life from the chronic condition of sin. But building on the rock of God, of Christ, does mean that the great physician, the carpenter by trade, the Lord Christ, has conquered the ultimate consequences of sin and is drawing, healing, developing, building us into the creatures we were meant to be in the first place. So even as we still wrestle in this life with temptation, building on the rock of God means turning back again and again in confession, in repentance, to the constructive life-giving ways of God for us. Ultimately, building on the rock of God, though, is knowing that the battle in its most ultimate sense is won. The foundation is firm in our creator and our redeemer. No matter what, as when Paul affirmed in his letter to the Romans, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Building on the rock of God is a way of living and moving and having our being in God together, of sharing and caring for one another through hardships of this life, with an eye of appreciation for the goodness of God manifest in creation and in redemption, It is a life in which we act in faith and in trust. That sinking sand is neither all there is nor our fate ultimately. Building on the rock of God is a life built on the firm foundation of Christ, a foundation from which we gain strength to live ever more fully for God and neighbor here and now and from which we will be raised to life eternal in the age to come. To God be the glory, brothers and sisters, forever and ever. Amen.